Father, we thank you for your word. We gather as a family and rejoice in the things that you do in our lives. We're super grateful. We're super humbled that you choose not to live in a building, not to live in a place, but to make your home in the hearts of men and women washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. What an amazing thing that you live in us. Your life is expressed in us. And as you set us free, as you heal us, as you deliver us, as you save us, as you equip us, as you commission us, we reflect the light of Jesus to the world. The banner we fly is not the one of the church. It's the one of our King, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we honestly long to worship you and bring glory to your name. So this morning as we look at your word, as we wrap up these five weeks, Help us to understand that the decisions we make as the people of God always have an impact on history, have an impact on our generation, and has an impact on the nations. So you've done many things with us over these five weeks, but Holy Spirit, I ask in Jesus' name, will you help me, will you help us to hear what you're saying to the church today as we tune our ears in again to the very heart of God and to the Word of God Give us ears to hear what you are saying in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, um, yeah, it's been a great five weeks. I think um, just I've been so encouraged. Many of you have read what the interactive part is, but beyond that, read even more than that. And, and it's so amazing to read the Word of God um, and for God to speak to you yourself. I, I would love to today, if I'm able to, to leave you on week five with this one simple idea, but it's a profound idea that somehow my life or your life is actually part or integrated into the God story. And there is a difference. It's not that God is part of my story, but it's that I'm part of God's story. That's the idea. And as we make decisions, if we can remember that, it will help us even in our desperate times and our, in our weak times. The fact that my life somehow is connected to the God's story is what gives my life value. It gives me value, and that word value means uh, to be worth something, to be important, and to be useful. And so I want to say to you that you are useful. Why don't you tell your friend you're useful? If you've been telling them they're useless, just repent. <laughs> um, you're only useful. You're only worthwhile. You're only valuable because somehow your life is connected to the eternal God's story. It also means that your life has meaning. And the word meaning, um, a synonym for that is significant. So your life is significant because your life is connected to the God story. Your life also therefore has purpose. Those three things, value, um, meaning, and purpose. Because you are part of the God's story. And that word, if you don't know what your purpose is, you've been created for a specific reason. 
you don't just exist. You were created for something specific, and that is to know God and to enjoy Him forever and to reflect Him to the world around you. And so two key verses, I'm just going to look at two people from Kings and we're going to look at, um, we pick them out of, of the New Testament, Acts 13, 36. I'm going to talk about David is the one guy and he was a king and um, the other is a lady called Bathsheba. And so we're going to pick up Acts chapter 13, verse 36. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. Now, Paul is busy preaching Jesus at Antioch. He's busy preaching Jesus to them. And in his sermon, he gives this rundown of the God story of how Joseph and, and went to Egypt and how God saved them out of Egypt and how God brought them. And, and he comes to this period of the kings that we're dealing with. And the, what he says about David is, David served God's purpose in his generation. So that tells me that God's purpose existed before David came along. When David came along, because he's part of the God's story, his life is significant and has purpose and meaning because it's woven into the God's story. Isn't that amazing? And then... Um, the second one in Matthew chapter 1 verse 6, and there's two genealogical <laughs> accounts of Jesus in his humanity. One you read in Luke, the other you read here in Matthew chapter 1. One goes all the way back to Adam and Luke. You can follow Jesus' human descendants all the way from Adam. How's that? Right through, it's recorded. And this verse, it says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 6, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. Now again, Matthew is the gospel. And every time we read the good news of Jesus Christ, this lady Bathsheba's name comes up in the Jesus story. Every time that you read the book of Acts, David comes up as part of the God's story, having a purpose. And this is what I love about the Bible because I think when you read it, um, it's very honest. In fact, I don't read a long list of, you know, people that are very, very perfect um, with very few mistakes that make really good decisions all the time. I, I don't see that. I know we often, in kids' ministry, these heroes in the Bible, I, yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, there's very few of them that don't have some issue. Abraham, I mean, he had great faith, but, you know, he lied twice. And then there's that Ishmael thing. I mean, Joseph, you know that the Bible actually, does, never in the story of Joseph does it say, Joseph is so amazing. Joseph, uh, Joseph, yes, he persevered, but he was a little bit arrogant in when he spoke to his parents and everybody else about what God was calling him to do. It was God who called him. Moses, I mean, he was a, a phenomenal leader, but he also murdered someone. Elijah was a prophet who called down fire, but he had these bouts of depression. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you go right throughout the list into the New Testament. Paul, an amazing man, but he persecuted the church. Peter, a great guy, he denied Jesus. I don't know. When I read my Bible, 
it's really a long list of people who keep making mistakes. And so, I mean, that's the amazing thing about the Bible because you can trust it. If I wrote a book about God, I would have left some of that out. You see, but the Bible is not just a book of rules by which we live by. The Bible, in fact, is not just a set of doctrines and beliefs that set us apart from other religions. In fact, the Bible is not just these rituals and ceremonies that we have to keep going through to try and get to God. But the, the Bible somehow is, is stories of real people set in history, mixed with poetry and prophecy and the gospels and real letters to real churches and a long list of imperfect people. The Bible is like no other book. It's written over a period of 1,500 years. You know when, they, when, the, when you, it started being written, Genesis, and it was finished written, 1,500 years, 44, now they weren't writing every day of the 1,500, we would have had a bigger Bible. But the point is, there's no other book like it. Honestly, and I, and I, I know we, we should read a lot of stuff, but I hope you're reading the Word of God. Because it is like nothing else. When I read the Bible, for me it's far more the perfect hero of every single story is this God who is above everything else in his faithfulness in his character in his perfection on every page of the bible you see that god somehow stands above his creation you know what i mean god is god is perfect in his faithfulness we sang it this morning all my life you've been faithful all my life but before my life and before that god has been faithful and he, even when he comes as a human being, the rules just don't apply to him. He just walks on the water. Gravity is just like, submit. The weather, the storms, biology. So, I mean, God is just, he's above his creation. He's above humanity. He's, he stands out above the nations, above the kingdoms, above the powers, the principalities, above sin. When God comes as a human being, tempted in every way, yet without sin. Perfect. He's above death. I mean, they put him in a grave and he just walks out. This is God as a man. Perfect on every page of the Bible. And so what am I saying? I'm saying like, actually, it is the story about God with us in it. Rather than the Bible being the story of man with God in it. Does that make sense to you? And so I think that for me, that's the way I read my Bible. Somehow these people have value. Somehow these people have significance. They have meaning. Somehow these people have purpose because they somehow find themselves in the God story. The story of this perfect God. Faithful. And I think like not only is that the way you should read your Bible, but it's also the way you should live your life. Because I think many times... I think of my little life, and, I, and I'm not saying it's 
to dishonor you. You might be a very important person living a very important life. But even if you reach 80, 90 or 100, it is a Drop dot, whatever. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Your little life. And, and it's funny when I get involved in my own life. I think my life is the story. And I'm trying to fit God into my story. And I'm making decisions and I'm governing my life as if the story is about me. And how does God fit into my life when actually the story is about God and how I fit into God's story. And not only should I read my Bible like that, but I should live my life like that. I am flabbergasted that every time Jesus is preached, David and Bathsheba is mentioned. How did that happen? You know, you read the story, it's not a good story. It's a story if I was writing the Bible to convince other faiths about God, I would leave that part out. So I put it in the Bible. Which means, the Bible, you know, and it wasn't written for David because David ain't here. It was written for us. There's something in it that God's telling us that he wants you so bad to be part of the God story. In your generation. <sighs> so... Um, I think, and I, and I hope you don't feel like I'm being negative preaching about like the, the bad points of these guys. Because last week I spoke about Solomon or the Solomon. But we must preach about Goliath. We must, must preach about killing the lion and the bear. We must preach about the victory of God and all that. But you know what I've realized about me? I love to be the hero. And don't deny. <laughs> deep inside you there. You too want to be the hero. Because as mankind, we like to make man out to be the hero. And when we preach our Bible, sometimes we preach as if these guys are extraordinary on another level. And we must, our whole life spent trying to be like them. When I tell you the story is not about them, the story is about God that's way beyond that. So let's not make man the hero. It's God who's the hero. And I realized that about my own life. My weakness in no way limits God's power or God's story or God's glory. Am I coming from the side? Okay. I just got a frat. I saw this guy here. I was like, I've never seen it like that on a Sunday. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. How's that? My, man's weakness in no ways limits God's power. Man's weakness in no ways. In fact, his power is perfect even in my weakness, which means the story is about God and his perfect power. The story is not about me and my strength. Isn't that cool? It just gives me courage. So, my life has value. Don't care what you say. Because my life is connected to the God story. My life has meaning. It's significant. Don't care what you say. 
because I'm connected to the God story. You get it? My life has purpose because I'm, I'm woven into somehow by the grace and the mercy of God. He's so determined to have me in his God story. And so let's have a look at this passage of scripture uh, in 2 Samuel. Uh, we, we haven't got long. Jacob's still got to dance and everything. <coughs> but 2 Samuel, let's read the story of these two, two characters. And I, honestly, if I gave you those two scriptures and you've never been a Christian or don't know anything about God, you, you might be surprised to find some of the scripture in the Bible. It's not the passages we often preach about. In 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 18, it says, On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought while the child was still living, uh, we spoke to David, but he wouldn't listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. I mean, it's, not, it's not what you often read about David. Desperation. In fact, if you read the verses before that, he was begging God. It literally uses the Hebrew word begging. He was pleading with God for the child. He was begging. He was, he was fasting. He was down on the floor begging God for the life of this boy. And if you, if you read the message Bible, it says now, now that the people around David were afraid to tell him the child had died because they thought he might do something desperate. I don't know. He might, he might explode. He might harm himself. He might do something silly. I don't know. But this is not one of David's proudest moments. What had led up to this is he committed adultery with Bathsheba. Bathsheba was a married woman. Her husband went off to war, and David took advantage of her, and he committed adultery with her. And so she fell pregnant, and David, in his brilliant mind, thought he would bring the husband home, make him drunk, and try and get him to sleep with this lady so that it looks like he made her pregnant. But the man refused. He slept outside. He said, the army is at war. How can I be, be, be here and relaxing and all this? And so David sent him back to the war and put him in the front lines and then pulled back the soldiers. And the husband died. And so the lady Bathsheba, yeah, this is in the Bible. You go read it. So this lady is carrying the child. She's lost her husband. She's been taken advantage of by a king who's in a, in a very high position. And she gives birth to this child. And David is carrying the burden and the guilt of, of all this because Nathan confronts David with this sin. Confronts him. And if you, if you read Psalm 51, you go and read Psalm 51. It was written by David after Nathan confronted him. And that's the psalm where he says, Lord, Create in me a pure heart, Lord. Renew a steadfast spirit. Don't cast me away from your, your presence. Take your Holy Spirit not from me. Restore the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And he's repenting. And Nathan comes to him and he says, you know what? God's forgiven you. Your sins are forgiven. But there are consequences to sin in this life. Right? You have to know that. Part of the consequences that you, you're going to have to walk through, David, is some stuff 
in your family, there's some stuff, and this boy is going to die. And so when we're picking up the story, David is begging because of his own mistake, desperate. And so you can see all the servants moving around David saying, the child has died. How are we going to even tell him? He's going to blow. He's going he's to do something desperate. He, he's not going to cope. See, if this was about the story of David, this would be a terrible story. You're really depressed. I can see. But it's not the story about David. Why is it in the scripture? It's not about David. It's about us. And it's about how God is so desperately wanting us to be in the God story. And so the child, uh, I mean, he's working through his own DDT, right? He's working through, you've got to listen to last week. I mean, if this was the story about David, how sad, how, how can anything good come from this? It's a mess. Total mess. Do you know that that doesn't put God off? Just so you know. Verse 19. It says here that David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves and he realized the child is dead. Is the child dead? He asked. Yes, they replied. He's dead. And with that, they anticipate he's, he's this guy is going to do something to himself. He's going to harm himself. He's going to fly off the handle. He's not going to be able to cope or he's going to get stuck. You, you, have you ever met people who are stuck? You have to go meet them where they are because they're stuck. No, I mean that. I mean that. They can only, they can only, like, they can, something traumatic has happened in their life. They've had pain, they've had, maybe they feel a bit disappointed in themselves and whatever, and they're stuck. They're stuck. So you, you have to go where they are to be able to, to like engage with them in any way. You can't engage here. You have to go where they got stuck. And sometimes we can get stuck. Every life goes on, but we're stuck. I think for David, he could have not got over this. I mean, the guilt, the shame, that it was public, it was now out in the open, it was, and plus, he's responsible for this lady, husband died, child died. How are you ever going to get over this? And so that's what the servants are worried about, right? <coughs> You're doing okay? Are you getting like all the juicy stories in the Bible? This is the God story. It's messy. Oh, it's so messy. This is the scandal of heaven. The angels say, how can this God so love people that he wants people in his story? It is mind-blowing. And so in verse 20, it says, Then David got up from the ground. He washed. He put on lotions. That's how it says in the NIV. And he changed his clothes. He went into the house of the Lord and he worshipped. Then he went to his own house and he requested they serve him food and he ate. And you know, his servants are puzzled. 
They asked him, why are you acting like this? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept, but now the child is dead and you get up and eat. Now, I think they are surprised. What a response. But for me, when I look at that, and there is a clue, we're going to read in those verses. For me, it's like David accepts that in my life, in my story, sometimes things die and things end, but that's not the end of the God story. And as long as I'm still alive, I'm part of the God story. So I need to get up. I need to rise up. I need to make the decision that because I'm part of the God story, if that ends there, the God story doesn't end. I've got to get up because I'm part of the God story. You get it? And some people who are stuck need to get up off the floor. Put lotion. <laughs> Change your clothes. <laughs> Doves is a good one. What, what do you use? Never. Heavenly scent. <laughs> Delete that off the whole video. Like. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Some, sometimes we're there, we're on the ground, we're still fasting, we're still desperate, we're still begging God, and God has already said, you, that thing is going to die, it's, it's going to happen. But it's not the end of the God story. So get up off the floor, change your clothes, have something to eat, go and worship. It's a powerful thing. Here's, here's the clue. Here's the clue for me. In the next verse there, in verse 22, he answers the servants and he says, While the child was alive, I fasted, I wept. I thought, who knows, the Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. But now that he's dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. There's the clue for me. Somehow, it seems like David understood that in the God story, there is resurrection. I will go to him. Story's not over because it's God's story. And so I need to rise up and get up and put on the, the righteousness of Christ on me. And I need to come under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And I need to get up off the floor even if the boy dies. And I need to nourish myself and eat something. And I need to worship God because I'm still part of the God story if I'm still breathing. Perhaps there are some things in your story that are tragedies. If I read that as a David story to be an encouragement to me, I'd be far more depressed than happy. But if I read it as part of the God story, I'm flabbergasted. This God is amazing. He wants David to be preached every time Jesus is preached. That he served God's purpose in his generation. This perfect God in my way, there's that guy again. <laughs> takes my weakness, takes my, and, and it doesn't stop this beautiful God's story. It just, when I hit a wobble, I remind myself, you, sir, are valuable because you are part of the God story. You are significant. 
And you are important. And you have meaning in this life, in this generation. Because you're part of the God story. And you have purpose. Is that alright? Let's not make decisions ever forgetting this idea. That the, the story of God began long before us. And God is so determined to have us in His story. I mean, read the Bible. We, as the human race, have been mainly, mainly, nothing but trouble for God. For every phase, you read like Genesis, you read Exodus, you read, you know, the judges, you read the conquest of the land. It's like every season, even into like, you know, Nehemiah, the restoration, the New Testament. I don't know if we've been such a great help to God. <laughs> it's not like God, like, here's the story of man. It's glorious. And God is in it. We tell it like that. Come on, man. This is the eternal, faithful, perfect, glorious, all-powerful God. And he wants us in his story. He's so determined that he will come himself as a man and lay down his life so that we can be in the God story. And not just be in the God story, but be part of the glorious bride of the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, you know, all of creation is waiting for that story, for that last episode. You know, like you, you use heavenly, you watch Days of Our Lives and all that jazz. The last episode. Oh, when all the elders are there and all the living creatures, I don't even know, they, they are living creatures in heaven and the angels and all the redeemed, the humanity and and Jesus is there and, and all the nations, men from every tribe and every tongue, come worshiping, praising God in their glorious resurrected bodies, clothed with the very righteousness of Christ for all eternity. Being All of heaven is at attention because the bride is here and the wedding of the Lamb has come. And you know, as ordinary people like you and me, with our weaknesses and all our history, somehow written into that God story. It's phenomenal. It's glorious. Five minutes. Verse 24. I love this. And, I, and like I say, for me and you, I mean, you read that story for yourself. It, if you're feeling down, don't read that. But man, the word of God is so powerful. That little phrase where he says, I will go to him, for me is his confession that I believe in the resurrection power of God. That the story of God doesn't end even when my life ends. The story of God doesn't begin when my life begins. It's cool, eh? So verse 24, David comforted his wife Bathsheba. So you, you see, he could have got stuck there. She could have got stuck there. She could have been the widow. Now she's mentioned as the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus. Her line would produce Jesus. And it says, yeah, he comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and he made love to her. And she gave birth to a son and she named the son, the son Solomon and the Lord loved him. And because the Lord loved him, he sent word through Nathan the prophet 
um, to name him Jedidiah, which means beloved or loved of the Lord. I think David realized in the story of God, it's the unfailing love of God that drives the story. And Bathsheba, you see, I don't know how to explain this. I don't know how to say it. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I've got some New Testament scripture, but it's beyond fathoming out. You know, in Psalm 21 verse 7, David says, The king trusts in the Lord through the unfailing love. That's the word the Bible uses of God's love. It's unfailing. Bathsheba had to open her heart to this love again. David had to open it. He, he went and he loved. And the Lord loved. And uh, I want to say Ephesians 3, 17, when Christ makes his home in our hearts, we trust in him. Your roots go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, all God's people should understand how wide that the, the, the love of God is so wide. That you can't get around it. It's so high. You can't get over it. You know that song? It's so deep. It's so low. You can't get. It's the love of God. Uh, Romans 8 tries to describe this. And it says uh, in verse 37. No, despite all these things. Overwhelming victory is ours. Why? Because Christ loved us. You, sir, are an object of of the love of this eternal God that makes you significant. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us, ever separate us from the love of Christ. Or from the, and I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. You see, when it's God's story, it's about God's love for us, not our effort to try and get into His story. It's a beautiful thing. Bathsheba opens her heart, and because she opens her heart, Solomon descendants right down to Jesus. And every time Jesus is preached, there's her name. There's her name, Bathsheba. The last thing I want to say, 2 Samuel uh, um, 12, we go back to that chapter in verse 13. Meanwhile, Joab fought against Rabbah of the Ammonites and captured the royal citadel. And Joab sent messages to King David saying, I fought against Rabbah and I've taken its water supply. Now muster the rest of the troops and beseech the city and capture it. Otherwise I will take the city and it'll be named after me. And you might think like David would just be stuck and say, well, I'm no good. I'm useless. This is, I've, I've had this tragedy. Why even bother? But no, you're in God's story, which means it's the love of God. That, that's not separated from you. But secondly, you're part of his eternal kingdom. See that? And so David mustered the entire army. army. He went to Rabbah. He attacked. He captured it. He took the crown from the king's head. And it was placed on his own head. And it weighed a talent of gold. And it was set in precious stones. And David took a great quantity of plunder from the city. Let me say this. In the God's story, we've been rescued from the kingdom of darkness and placed into the eternal kingdom of God. And if I'm part of the kingdom of God, there are still battles to be won. 
There's still territory to be taken. There's still be troops to be mustered. There's still crowns to be won that we can lay down before the king of kings. And David realizes, you know what? I'm still part of the God's story. The kingdom of heaven is still advancing. There's battles to be won. There's troops to be rallied. There's territory to be taken. And so he gets up. And he serves God's purpose in his generation. I love it. Don't get stuck. Amen. Your life has value. Your life has meaning. And your life has purpose. Because God wants you in his story. Let's stand. Please. That song has been so in my mind over the last while. All my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been faithful. That's my little testimony. But man, throughout the ages and forevermore, faithful God. Faithful, solid rock cannot be moved. Wants me to be part of his story. He's loved me. He's transferred me and rescued me and put me into his eternal kingdom. Oh Lord, I pray today for us as the church of Jesus Christ. The world at times wants to measure our value up against our performance and our, all the other things they want to. But Lord, we are really significant and we are really valuable because we are part of the God's story. Church is not our idea. Jesus, it's you birthed the church. She's glorious because she's connected to you. She's valuable because she's part of your story. She's significant, Lord, because she's part of your story. She has a purpose because she's connected to the eternal story of God. We're overwhelmed at times that you would choose us. Everything we do, let it be out of this understanding and knowledge. You chose us. Before we could do a single thing, you chose us to be in your story. When we were powerless, you sent Christ to die. Because you so loved the world. You loved the world. Now Lord, I pray over this next season be able to help those that are stuck and if we're stuck that we we get unstuck today Lord get up off the floor get up off of our mourning grieving realize that when things end in our life it's not the end of the God story Lord will you minister to us by your Holy Spirit these five weeks Lord you've given us practicals Push buttons in the hearts because you've got plans for your church, Lord. You have a hope and a future for us. 
Lord, we pray for the world that's in chaos right now. They think it's all about their story. Will you open their eyes? Will you help us, Lord, to tell them that you want them in your story, God? You so much want them as part of that story that, Lord, no matter what happens, that your love, nothing separates them from your love through Christ Jesus and what you did on the cross. Nothing will ever change that, Lord. that your kingdom is eternal there is resurrection there is eternal life there is there is a new heaven and a new earth there is an eternity with God so Lord let us dust ourselves off let us put on the clothes you've given us to wear let us eat from you Jesus real food real bread from heaven let us muster the troops let us go into battle again. Let us take the ground so we can lay down our crowns before the King of Kings one day. As long as we're alive, we have purpose. Pray for that in Jesus' name.